0: Welcome to another edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. I think I'm most excited about the guest we have today. This guest is an eight-time national champion um, head coach from the University of Arizona, 22 World Series trips. He took his teams in only 33 years. He boasted 53 All-Americans throughout his 36 years of coaching, recently retired, but he also took myself, as well as my teammates, to the 2004 Olympic games, as well as the 2008 Olympic team. So he, as a head coach, has an Olympic gold medal team that he coached, as well as a silver medal team. I am so pleased and honored to uh, introduce to you my favorite coach, I believe the best coach in
1: the entire world in the sport of softball, Mike Candrea. Welcome, coach.
2: Thank you, Leah. So good to be on with you.
1: (laughs) Can you tell how excited he is to talk to me? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so I'm so excited. I don't know. I brag about you to everybody coach. Um, he is known as coach to me, so I will probably be saying that a lot throughout this, um,
0: throughout this podcast, but, uh, coach can you just share with everybody kind of how you got, um, into coaching? Like how did, how did that love for it, passion and just the gifting of coaching? How'd you get into it?
2: Well, I think as a young kid, um, I, I, I love the bat and ball game. So from the time I was out of my crib, I had a glove and a bat in my hand. And, um, that's all I really uh, cared to do was go down to the end of the street and play with the guys. And whether we were playing wiffle ball or playing pickle or, or, or I remember in Louisiana, we would uh, mow the pasture that was at the end of the street and we made a field out of it and we would play there every day. And so that's kind of the beginning of it. And, um, you know, I I dabbled with business uh, when I got into college and took accounting, and I said that's not for me. I got to follow my passion, and my passion was um, uh, coaching and teaching. And and um, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, began my career at a junior college where I where I ended my baseball career. I had Tommy John surgery before Tommy John, so um, way way back, but um, just got asked to start coaching, you know? And so I, I, I thank Kenny Richardson for uh, maybe seeing a a glimmer in my eyes that I loved what I was doing and that I could help and started coaching baseball for um, about five years. And then um, the AD came in one day and said, Mike, I need your help. And I said, what's that? He goes, I need you to coach the women's softball team. And I said, George, I'm a good baseball guy. Why, Why don't you want me to coach softball? And, you got to remember that was back right at the beginning of title nine. And, um, he said, we're going to put some money into the program and we'd like for you to do it. And I said, well, I'll do it for a year. Um, but I really think I want to stay in baseball and did it for a year. And I fell in love, you know, fell in love with the, um, uh, the female athlete is uh, pretty special, you know, and, uh, they were like a mound of clay and you could mold them any way that you wanted to. And, they had no habits, so they didn't have any bad habits, didn't have any good habits. So <laughs> you, you could start from the ground up. And um, I did it for a year. And I, after that year, we had a decent year. And I said, you know, if I go find a pitcher, I think we can win this thing. And so I went out and recruited Connie Clark, uh, who was the former head coach at the University of Texas. And she was my very first prospect that I recruited um, and won back to back championships at Central Arizona College and then um, got the job at Arizona where I've been for forever. So it was kind of a storybook um, career for me. You know, this is Arizona was my second job. And uh, I think most people, it's kind of hard to say that you can only have two jobs in your life, but I really did. And um, so I've been able to follow my passion and and do something that I love to do each and every day, try to make a difference. And, um, you know, it's been just a blessing for me to to be able to do what I've done.
0: Well, and, and you know, there's a lot of people who go into coaching. Um, first of all, what position did you play when you played? I was baseball?
2: a middle infielder. Yeah, played okay. Stop second base, pitched a little so bit. Then, high school.
0: Yeah, so then when, when you went and you saw this pitcher, I'm assuming she was having talent, and so, you know, was it hard to get her to come? Did you have any convincing to do, or was it just pretty easy? Like, you saw she was
1: good, and she didn't have any other opportunities. What was that well, like?
2: Well, you got to remember back in those days, there wasn't um, a lot going on at the college scene, Um in fact, the junior colleges and the colleges played in a lot of the same tournaments. So, um, I really thought when I, when I drove up to this, I remember vividly, um, driving up to the stadium in sun city, Arizona, full of retirees and they had their golf carts parked at the top of the stadium. And, um, I'm sitting there watching this game and I was just amazed at the talent that I saw this was the women's open back then, uh, the sun city saints. And, um, I saw this young pitcher and I said, man, I I'm sure someone's after her because she was, she was pretty good, a good rise ball. And um, so I said, all she can say is no. So I pursued her and um, I thought ASU or U of A would be recruiting her and um, thank the good Lord. Neither one of them were, you know, <laughs> and, and I talked her into coming to central Arizona college. It was a great fit. And, um, to this day, um, Connie and I, uh, stay in touch all the time. I'm very, very, um, excited about her career and what she did for softball. Um, so I had her for two years at Central and I got the job in August at Arizona and she, um, signed with Cal State Fullerton in April. And, um, you know, what could have been, you know, who knows, but even um,
1: sooner. Yeah. for Yeah. Sure. But
2: anyway, she ended up going to, to Fullerton, won a, a national championship for Judy Garman and
1: wow.
2: I uh, was the Broderick player of the year, you know, I mean, just a very superb athlete. And I think I need to thank her for um giving me the opportunity to do what I've done for this many years.
1: It That's was, it was,
0: awesome.
2: Yeah. It's pretty, it's a pretty cool story. And, and um, you know, sometimes you, it, it you got to be lucky you got to be in the right place at the right time and um you know i've always admired um the people around me the mentors that i had in baseball i thought really set me up well to to be able to be a leader and to be a head coach and went to arizona and that was kind of the the beginning of it you know and then i had to take a program there and um you know we weren't very good but um,
0: so what's one of what's one of the, the biggest things that right off the bat that you come into this program, you're thinking okay, I need I need them to improve quickly. Yeah. What what was one of the the first things that you did to make that happen?
2: Well, I think it was just basically fundamentals. It was um te- you know, playing the game, um, being able to throw and play catch and and um develop some confidence. Um, you know, UCLA was the gold standard um back then, and and I knew that for me to able to get this program at the national level that i was going to have to go through their door and um, so i went out right away and i started watching uh, the men's game because i was a baseball guy playing softball you know and i'm wondering why everyone's bunning and and um, you know back then it was a white ball with white seams and they were throwing from 40 feet and i remember the first pitcher that i had to face was uh, michelle granger and you know, I'm thinking to myself, man, if this is softball, I, I'm not a very good hitting coach because we just struck out 17 times, you know,
1: <laughs> for those that are not softball people, Michelle Granger was one of the best players ever to play the game as well. As she won a gold medal in 1996 as a starting pitcher for us. So.
2: <laughs> and she was throwing 70 miles an hour from 40 feet. So I'm you know.
1: throwing 70 so, miles per hour at the time when nobody else did that.
2: It was crazy. And so I went to the men's game and I started watching and, and I, I realized the quickness of the game and, and how speed could change the game. And and that's where I really saw the slap for the first time and um, decided that, you know, I was going to have to kind of rethink um, my thoughts about the game. And so we went out and started recruiting some speed and, and um, tried to play the small ball a little bit and and we just progressively got better, you know, and a lot of it was just getting these kids to believe that they could conquer anything. And 91 was our first championship. And that was um, a pretty phenomenal time because I had mostly uh, Arizona athletes and, uh, you know, kids that were good players, not great players. But, man, I'll tell you what, we just came together at the right time and ended up winning a championship. And then that opened up the doors to be able to recruit people like you. You know, I thought if we could get on the scene that we could get into some homes and, and recruit the, at a higher level that we could um, end up trying to sustain some excellence for a lot of years. And we did.
0: Well, you mentioned a couple of things and that's something that I, um, as an athlete who played for you um, really felt like I saw when, and, and have watched and respected so much throughout the years, um, how no matter that you had eight national championships, when you were winning Olympic gold medals, you still would go not only to speak at a convention where other baseball and softball coaches were speaking, but you would go listen. How important is that for leaders to always be willing and open to listen and to learn?
2: Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, it's, um, you know, when you stop listening, you stop learning. And, and to me, that's a, a big part of what we do is being able to, to learn. And, and And for me, I would listen to anyone talk about the game because one thing I learned at a young age is that you don't know who you're going to get good information from, you know. And um, so yeah, I was around some really powerful um coaches that ended up going into division one, you know, the Gary Ward's of the world, and um, you know, Kenny Richardson was a really good um, teacher of the game. Um, but I would sit with anyone, and that's the one thing I loved about the, the convention, you know, the baseball convention is because it was really about sitting around and you know, having a beer and talking the game. I mean, everyone was in a lobby talking the game of baseball. And and I realized really quickly that there's no secrets. You know, what we do, um, we, we're not going to reinvent the game. It's Sometimes it's better verbiage. It's a better process of how to teach it. And so I was always one that was in everyone's back pocket to try to get a little bit better and try to find that one little thing that would make me better as a leader, uh, as a coach, But I also thought that the more information that I got, the more information our players got. And and if I could continue to give them better information, then that would be a big part of the process. And so um, I always said, nothing stays the same. It gets better, it gets worse. And that's kind of how I live my life. You know, if you sit around and you think, um, you know, you don't need to change, then you're crazy. Because in today's world, as we see, um, you have to change with the game. You have to change with the times. Um, change with the athletes. You know the athletes a little bit different today than it was 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. So, what would you tell people? I mean, what is the key? And 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 how? Could you also relate this to people outside of sports? Because I think these principles are true in all areas of life. Like how, how would you, I mean, would you say even with parenting, maybe we need to look, we're raising, you know, I have three boys, a couple still in high school and it's different today. I mean, what are, what would you say? Like just, just that we continue learning so we can pass along better information.
2: Yeah. I think you just can't get stubborn um, and and you can't think that you know it all. Um, But on the other hand, I think um, part of life is, is growing and evolving. And, you know, I mean, I look at myself and I thank the good Lord that I lived to watch the game grow. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's one thing I'm really proud of with my career is that I was able to watch this game actually grow from the ground up. And you look at it today and, and there's so many different dynamics that go into today's athlete. You know, um, when, when I grew up, we had a black and white TV with rabbit ears. And, you know, <laughs> you learn how to play the game by trial and error. You go out there and you you would emulate guys on TV and you would try something. If that didn't work, you'd try something else. And today we live in an information powerful um, society where, you know, kids get really good information, but then they can also go on YouTube and and, and watch 800 people teach hitting,
1: you yeah, know, and, so sometimes
2: the the uh, amount of information that our kids are getting today can be, a, um, can cause some problems.
1: Yeah, cause you can they, get, they can get overloaded. Yeah,
2: overwhelmed,
0: overwhelmed, overloaded to thinking too much. Yeah. Um, can we go back to, you said that, um, and I feel like you did this for me in a big way, but you said that early on your, your athletes weren't as good. Um, and you said you, you had to get them to believe Mm -hmm. what did you do and how did you even learn how to get other people to believe?
2: Well, you know, I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's three things that I've always kind of lived my life through. And it, and, and it started at a really young age. One was that I always wanted to be competent at what I did. So I was a student of the game. I always was trying to get better. And, um, I was not a, I wasn't the greatest athlete on the field, but I promise you one thing, I knew how to prepare and I knew how to pick other people's brains. And, um, I understood the foundation of the game, the the fundamentals. And so I, I think that was one thing that really helped me was, um, being a, a learner. I mean, a, a I mean, I was always trying to get better at what I did. I never sat in my office and says, all right, I've won championships. I don't need to learn anymore. That wasn't it, man. I was always trying to get better. Um, the second thing is that I wanted to be consistent. Um, and, and, I, and I look back at the Olympic team and, and I was absolutely amazed watching you guys perform every day. And I used to think to myself, what makes this group so special? And I go, you know, they're great athletes. Uh, They all have great eyes. I knew that for a fact. (laughs) The bat and ball game. But the one thing that I realized is that you guys had emotional stability. Mm. You you had consistency, whether it was at practice in Chula Vista or it was in the arena in Athens. You saw the same look, the same approach. Um, The game never got too big. I mean, it was just so fun to watch that element. And to me, that's a huge part of developing young kids today is just getting them to to not be on that roller coaster you know to to understand that they're playing a game of failure so they have to be good at failure recovery you know and mm-hmm. if you don't give them a way to handle failure then they're going to be on that roller coaster and they're never be able to play this game you know and then the third thing i think is for me was just caring about people yeah. i've i've always been that way as a young kid i you know, I was a very emotional young kid. I wanted to make everyone proud and <laughs> um, just the, the good kid on the block, you know, never got in trouble. But to me, when I got into coaching, I realized that, you know, I coach men and I coach women. And I always say, you know, the men had to play good to feel good. The women had to feel good to play good. And so that was a really what eye-opening thing for me is making sure that I coached, number one, I coached the person. Yes. If I tried to coach the athlete. Yes. And if I coached the person and made the person better and feel good about themselves, then the athlete could come out. And um, that, that was, a, I think, one of the things that I, I understood real early in my career. And, and one thing that was really important to me, you know, and, and I always wanted to surround myself with people that, that had the same goals and aspirations when it came to handling people. Not so much the game. I mean, you know, we all have our own thoughts about how the game is played. And, but truthfully, at the end of the day, the biggest job that I have is is managing people. And if I, I look at my role today as an advisor for the athletic director here, and and I'm, I'm finally kind of getting on my own little submarine and seeing all these others. And the one element that I see that really causes a lot of issues in programs it's just the inability to manage people because in athletics, it's not only just your players, but it's your, it's your village. It's your support staff. It's everyone else. And it's just amazing how sometimes people just have blinders on and they think that it's all about them and all about their team. And so their support staff doesn't feel like they are, they don't have the buy-in. They're not, they don't feel good about it. And to me, that's one thing I always wanted, man. I wanted the guy that's working on my field every day to feel like a part of that team. And when we want a championship, they want a championship. And I realized that if I did that, then they would do anything for me. so you know, so, so true. people, so people yes. sometimes understand why they get disconnected. And I yeah. think sometimes we, we forget about the village. We forget about the other people. And I, I was really good at that. Um, to be honest with you, um, I think with my job on a day-to-day basis, but I, I was, I had some difficulties sometimes trying to balance my my work, work-life relationships with my own family. Yeah. And um, so it, it's a challenge. I mean, anytime you're pursuing excellence and and trying to be the best at what you do, balance is something that we all talk about, but it's something that's really hard to achieve. Because something's got to give, you know. When you put so much time and energy into something, something's got to give. And unfortunately, sometimes um, I gave up the wrong people, the the, the wrong things. So, and what so- would you
0: do? What would you do differently if you could go back?
2: Well, if I could go back, number one, I commuted for 21 years um, from Casa Grande to Tucson, which is a 72 mile um, one way jaunt. Um, The positive side was I had a lot of time to unwind and when I got home, I was ready to be home. Um, But on the other hand, I wasn't there to pick my kids up after school and to do the little things. And so if I had changed, if I could change anything right now, I would have moved uh, closer to campus. which gave give you more time. Absolutely. You know, because I spent way too much time on the road Um, and I was a great provider you know, um, but but on the other hand, there was some emotional um support and that that you were that you needed that I wasn't real good at. You know, yeah. I mean, I was I was so locked into what I was doing, you know, <laughs> and I had to really change my my thoughts sometimes. You know, for a while, my life revolved around winning a national championship, and if I didn't win a championship, I was miserable. And one day I woke up, I go, This can't. Go on. I mean, you you have to learn how to enjoy the small victories in life, and enjoy life. And so you have to start looking at your your whole process and what you do in a different light. Because I realized the sun's going to come up and go down no matter whether I won or not. Um, the game wasn't life threatening. Yeah. You know, um, but it took me a long time to understand that because I would I would buzz through the victories and I would absolutely. The, the losses would take chunks out of my body. Yeah. You know, and, and I
0: think again, something that can relate to people and whatever they're pursuing, right. It's those hard times they come through or struggles or something, hit a wall. And then you think, well, how do you know, how do I get that? So, so real quick, just to tie in, cause the gold standard, you know, I have some an acronym yeah. and um, so, so let's go back just a tiny bit. Cause I'm going to get back into the obstacle piece and the struggle and how to that perseverance, how important that is. But um, for goal setting just quickly, um, you know, I come to Arizona, you guys had won the first national championship, 91, two years earlier. Um, you know, I, you know, I come in two years later, um, now it's, you know, that's the expectation you've reached it. It's, it's there every year. Now you, you have leaders on the team who have experienced it and now know how to pass that, that down, um, You know how what what can people do if they were like I want to build a championship culture. Um, how what can you do to help others? You you had that vision, you had that goal. How can you get others to buy in and believe? Is it is it just through the preparation? Because I know you were always very prepared and you put us on that path daily.
2: Well, I think preparation is a big part of it, but I think it starts with you first. Um, I think sometimes as leaders, you don't take care of yourself, and so I think the first thing you have to do is be really comfortable in your own skin and, and be able to look in the mirror and like what you see before you can inflict that to others. And so I always tell people, take care of yourself first and then you can take care of others. And I think that's a really important piece in today's world because, um, you know, there's some challenges out there. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. And, And then once you build those expectations, I always felt like I was never concerned about the end result, but I was concerned more about the process, more about w- what we do on a day-to-day basis. And then I realized that the process, you know, kids think the process is a straight line. If I do this, then this is going to happen. But unfortunately in our game, the, the process is, I mean, it's a really wavy line and it, it's not straight. And so being able to understand that and help kids get through those times I think is huge.
0: So what's one of the things, because I know for me, like I talk a lot about that and here's the thing. I don't even know if you said it that way to us, but I experienced it that way. Mm -hmm. I experienced if daily you're asking me to do this and I do remember you saying, Hey, celebrate little things. Yeah. The outcome might not have been what you wanted when you went up to bat and you hit it. But if you had a good quality at bat, do that because the next time it is going to do. And so in a sense it takes all the pressure off and it gets you focused on just do the same thing next time.
2: Yeah. And the other is that
0: how you would? Yeah,
1: go ahead. Yeah.
2: I I think that's, I I think, I think one of the biggest challenges is getting individuals to get out of their own way and become part of a team. And so I, what, what's the, the the beauty of the game is when you see a kid mature enough where they, they believe in themselves, they understand the process. See, that was the great thing about coaching you and the Olympics, 27 years old, Physically, mentally, emotionally, you guys were pretty stable. I'm dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-olds where that's not the case. And so getting them to understand, you know, that you have certain things you can control, attitude, effort, focus, take care of those things. But there's going to be a day when you can take the blinders off and quit worrying about yourself that you can worry about the team and it takes so much pressure off you, yeah. you know, because we play a team sport. That's a beauty of it. You know, and I think that's why you're so prepared for life after softball, because you understand what it's like to be to do something that's bigger than yourself. You know, and I think that's what this game has taught me. You know, I I heard someone say the other day, if you think you're important, try to go command your neighbor's dog. (laughs) It's not going to work, you know, and I think too many times we put ourselves in this bubble that we don't think outside of it because we haven't taken care of ourselves first, yeah. you know, and so that's that's a big key for me. And I think once that happens, it's beautiful to watch a team that is unselfish, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't care who gets the credit. Um, you know, in, in our game, I think there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a growing process to learn how to play this game because it is a difficult game. And so being able to do the little things to help the team be successful, I think, is a is a huge part of it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. The Gold Standard Podcast is brought to you by Major Media League. Major Media League is a revolutionary competitive app launching in June 2022. This app gives softball athletes a platform to showcase their skills by participating in challenges and having the chance to win prizes and scholarships. This is also an opportunity to promote your own talent for all the athletes out there. It's free to join. So go sign up today at www.majormedialeague.com. The link is also in the show notes. You'll be notified when the major media league app launches. So get prepared for the unbelievable opportunity that lies ahead to grow your brand as an athlete. Okay. So going to that next piece, um, overcoming obstacles, because again, when we hit walls, right. And struggles, um, it really is. Can you learn from it? Can you grow from it? Or does it keep you stuck? Does it push you backwards? Does it make you want to give up? I think that's really, I think that's the difference between people who go on to do great things and those that don't. Is just how well they deal with with obstacles. So, what would you say through all your years of coaching that you've seen? Oh,
2: you are you are spot on, man. I tell you that this is the thing that sometimes people can't overcome the fear of failure. Yeah, and and to me. Um, it's how you look at failure. And, and I think you can look at failure in a positive way, because I think we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. And I think once you can flip that switch and understand that, that failures are temporary setbacks, they're learning opportunities to grow, to get better. And it, they're not threatening. And I think that's the biggest thing is trying to get kids to understand that failure is not, it's not going to, it's not threatening. it's not, It's not going to hurt you. You know, it's part of the game. And if you, and the thing that I've seen is people that are positive have a tendency to fail forward. People that are negative have a tendency to to fail backwards. And so I think that part of the game being positive, number one, about yourself, because I think it starts with you. Mm -hmm. And then number two, as a leader, as a coach, I'm going to have to develop this positive atmosphere where it's okay to fail, you know? And, and that's, that was the fun part. I think for me is being able to get, I remember Jenny Dalton crying in my office. I can't play this game. I go, no, you're not, you can't play this game, but you're going to be a four-time all American. So get over (laughs) it. You know, it's, it's part of the process. And so I think a lot of it is how do we define failure? You know, and I always go back to that Michael Jordan quote where he, what he took 3000 shots, missed, you know, 300 times and was called upon to take the winning shot, you know, all the time because the way he saw failure was just part of the process. Yeah.
0: It's part of the process. I love that. Yeah. Can you, okay. Now let's just go into personal life as well, because we know, um, you know, a lot of, people, right. It might not just be on the field, right. It could literally be in your personal life. And, um, maybe you can just share a little bit, um, for those that don't know when you had lost your wife Sue, right. Prior to us going to the 2004 Olympics. Um, and you know, just kind of how you were able to still go lead an Olympic team right after losing your wife suddenly and unexpectedly.
2: Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of reasons why you can, you can, I don't want to say survive, but to be able to get through those tough moments, you know, and and I've always been brought up. Um my mom was my my guiding force in life. Um she she was the one that that really um allowed my faith to really grow and understand about things when they happen. And um to me that was a big part of it. You know, um um, you know one day I was sitting there and I was I was sitting at my desk and I took out this tape measure from speedline uniforms, which you remember speedline uniforms. And I don't know why I did it, but I sat there that day and I was thinking about my dad. My dad passed away at 77 years old and I took the tape measure out and I took out 66 years that I was at the time. And I looked at the 77 and I said, that's what I got left. Mm. And so I think sometimes we don't realize how precious life is and you have to prepare yourself for the good times and the bad times, you know, um, it was very devastating and it, and it was probably um something that you're not going to prepare yourself for. You can't prepare yourself for it. But but you have to be prepared, and that's the key. It's not a matter of of that you need your faith, it's it's just when, you yeah. know. And I was always prepared that at least I had that. And I and I had some really good people around me that were my you know, my safety net, you were one of them, you know, that were very influential during that time. And I think when you go through tough times like that, you, you need, that's where you're, that's where you need your friends and your, the people in your life and you hope you've surrounded yourself with good people because it it was very devastating. And, And to sit there at 48 years old at the time, and you don't know the color of your checkbook, you don't know what your kids need. And, and, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a moment in life where you're going, wow, you know, there's there's a lot more to this game, there's a lot more to life, mm-hmm. um, and we need to make sure that we're prepared uh, for when things happen. You know, I've lost a child, I, I you know, and, and I think it's been kind of a gradual thing for me, um, but I I lost a child very early on, and um, you know, lost a player at 21 years old, very devastating. You know, Julie Ray Tan perfectly healthy one moment, gone the next. And so, you know, when Sue went down and I mean, perfectly healthy and then gone, it's like, Mike, you know what, the the good Lord has prepared you for this. And, and, and my biggest thing was being strong for my kids and, Mm -hmm. and family. And I didn't know whether I could really go on and, and coach, but it was really my kids and my family. I said, dad, you know, mom would want you to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of, turn it into a different light. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's life can be tough, you know, and that's why I love, I love the game and I love what athletes go through because you're going to go through some challenges and the good times and the bad times, and you have to have discipline and you have to understand yourself and you have to make the right choices. I think at the end of the day, um, if there's one thing I could tell young people is it's your job to make the right choices you know, yeah. and, and those right choices is about, about you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's about the people around you, people that you allow into your circle. And to me, that's what I've seen over the years is when people aren't careful about the people that they bring into their circle, they can have a lot of problems. Yeah, And, and so to me, it was um, going back to my family, you know, going back to Um, my profession I loved, but, um, I had to learn how to be where my feet were. I, I, you know, I was bad at taking work home and and not enjoying being at home. So my term was be where your feet are. You know, if you're at home, you're at home. If you're at work, you're at work. And I got better at that. But at the end of the day was my faith. It was just, you know, God has a plan for us all. And I kind of looked at that as part of his plan. And maybe that was the wake up call that I needed to, to maybe become that, that, that father that, you know, I've, I've fathered a lot of kids, you know, and I've spent a lot of time with a lot of athletes, but um, sometimes I, I feel like I failed with my own. And, and um, so it's given me some time to kind of catch up to that. And, and it's ironic because this Saturday I'm, I, I was, Selected the father of the year here in Tucson. Uh-huh. So yeah. So we're going to this big gala. But I that was really kind of shocking because I really did some soul searching about that and going, you know, am I re- am I really a father of the year? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things I could have done a lot better. And um, but I think that's that's the good part of growing up in athletics is we all know that we can do things better. You know, we're yeah. not we're not perfect.
0: No, we're always we're always growing.
2: We never we're always will.
0: learning. Absolutely. Yeah and 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 something like that obviously just ultimately brings back that perspective like every day is a gift and the people in our lives are really the most important thing this is a game yeah. you know yeah. and and God you know was just so gracious and you brought you Tina your current wife and yeah. you know it's just been beautiful to see um what he's done you know through all these years as well since then um so the leadership part again you've talked a lot about leadership you've given a lot of tips um but You know, what, what would you say maybe? And just, again, you've talked about just like, um, how stable, you know, the players were that you feel like at the elite level, that was maybe the difference between college and and the Olympic team. Um, but maybe like uh, the leadership you saw within those athletes, like when a, when a player comes on your team, like, what did you see that you're like this, this kid right here, this is a leader. What, What was there anything that stood out to you in that sense?
2: Um, yeah, I think a lot of it was um, they're they're usually people of high character, um, usually people that have taken care of themselves. They, they know who they are. They don't waver from it. Um, they surround themselves with good people. But the biggest thing is that they can affect others. They they know how to multiply. <laughs> you know, I always say there's four types of people in your program. You have you have people that add to your program. You have people that subtract from your program. You have people that divide in your program. And then you have that person that multiplies your program that makes others better. And you know, it's at our level, it takes time. You know, freshmen walk in, they, they you know, they kind of they're on pins and needles. They don't really want to be that vocal voice. And the one thing I've learned about leadership is that we we need different types of leaders too.
0: Yes. We don't need sure. just
2: the vocal leader. We need you know, we have the leader. That's the mom. You know that puts her arm around you and makes yeah. sure that you're okay. And I think any good team has multiple leaders, and that's why I've never had a captain. Yes, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just I always felt like I wanted, if I had eighteen players, I wanted eighteen leaders, and they all led in different ways. And so that's the fun part is being able to watch that that person grow. But I I can rest assure you the people that led whether it was by example or whether it was vocal or whether it was support, um, they, they took care of themselves. I mean, I, I never had to worry about them. You know, it's funny when you're coaching and you got to watch this because a lot of times you, you, you spend very little time on the people that are doing the right things and you spend all your time on the people that are doing the wrong things. And boy, I tell you what, you, you got to watch that because everyone, needs to be wanted and and everyone has their needs and so I think one of the most important things is getting to know people as people first and I always say that coach the person and then the athlete will take care of themselves
0: Well, and, and I experienced that underneath you and I was on a podcast earlier today and that's exactly what it was all about. And it was about sports and, and it was all about, and I, and I said, I said what coach Candrea knew how to do really, really well. And I watched this on a daily basis was you knew the athletes that you had to get a little bit more on and be a little tougher
1: on. And you knew the ones that it was like with me, like, I felt like you just had to like, look at me and be like, let's go. Cause I think you yelled at me like twice. And I like broke down ball.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you yeah. I mean, you have the stability. And I think that's one of the <laughs> gifts. I I love to see young people that are stable, that are that are high character, that are stable, that that um that understand the importance of that inner circle and in and, and surrounding themselves with good people. But I love the ones that are so comfortable with their own skin that they can help others get better, you know, and, and that that's a gift. You know, especially when you're dealing with, um, you know, 18 female athletes, um, you know, it that's a difficult job. And the ones that do it well are the ones that, that really live their life a certain way and people pick up on it. Yeah. You know, someone that I can trust, someone that I can trust, someone that I can count on. And boy, when you have a, a team full of people like that, you have a pretty special team.
0: Well, and that's why I think back even to our years, you know, three national championships. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what in a span of five years, you know. I mean, we we're, you were in the national championship game. I mean, year after year, after year, even the years that we fell short. Um, but I, but it was, it was, it was quality athletes. They had all different talents. I think of home run hitters, the fastest athletes in the game, the best pitchers in the game. But then, like you said, it's the people who they were as people. And and that's what it comes down to. Okay. So our last letter is D and that's a dedication piece. Like that discipline, that sacrifice, that drive. Like I, I looked at it and I, and I feel like you just did a great job with us because every day, like you set the plan before us, you, you had a plan mapped out and you, you know, if we needed to work something a little bit longer, it was like, okay, we're going to push that and make sure that's the focus right now. But, um, you know, is that what you've seen as well? Your national championship teams, your Olympic gold medal teams, you've talked about all these characteristics, but then when it comes down to it, there's a lot of people that can think about it. Were these all just people of action as well? Is that what you would say?
2: Oh, yes. I mean, there, there, there's, there's no doubt. One thing the Olympic team taught me was, um, is challenging, um, athletes. You know, there, I think the one thing I always looked at with, with my teams is if I have a, a, a low skill and a high challenge, kids get frustrated. If I have a high skill and a low challenge, they get bored. And so try to balance that even amongst the player, you know, I think that's, that's the thing. And so I, I always wanted to be prepared. I mean, I'm a practice coach. I love practice and I spend a lot of time trying to challenge athletes, um, trying to, to, to know what, what their needs are both as an individual and as a team. And, um, and, and I was totally embraced in the process. I mean, I, I, I loved, I do, I, I loved practice. I mean, if there's one thing I missed today, uh, as a retired coach, it's practice. It's, it's pounding those thousand ground balls and, in 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 challenging kids and, and, and making them better, you know? And, um, to me, I think the Olympic team was just the epitome of that because you guys had a knack of being able to put yourself in the Olympic arena when you were sitting there in Chula Vista. And, and, uh, I I realized one day that I wasn't challenging you enough. And so I had to, I had to, that was a wake up call, like, Oh God, you know? And that's why I, I picked the Navy SEALs to go out and train with a little bit. I mean,
1: <laughs> yes, I right? did.
2: Because it 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 is. It's um, it's trying to find the 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 right level with the right kids. And oh I, yeah, that, I I
1: could not. I couldn't hold that boat above my head. I'm like standing no. there, like I I'm the weak link, and like, do I have to listen to this guy yelling at me, telling me to push ups right now? Yeah, <laughs> coach, save us.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you could see you could see the one thing that you guys had that every good athlete has, and that's your competitive. So you're going to find a way. And that's the one thing that's tough right now is, you know, when I grew up and even when you were playing, I think you guys were very task oriented. If I gave you a task, you found a way to accomplish that. And you wanted to make me proud and you wanted to make your teammates proud. Well, the problem today is that this, this generation is pleasure oriented. And so they're always looking for the pleasure. They're looking for, you know, they're not, whether it's the task or not, they, they want to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting to watch that, be, and it's not wrong. It's just it's different. Yeah, you know, young kids today. When I grew up, it was um, get a job. Yeah, you know, get them married, buy a house, have kids. <laughs> you know, and you never had money to go on a vacation. Well, today kids <laughs> get a bonus. Man, they're going on vacation. You know, <laughs> they're not going to spend it on on their their house. You know, maybe paying their house down. That, but that's the generations that we live in.
1: That's a great point. Okay. So as we finish this up, um, thank you. First of all, I, I I don't know. This is why I just love playing. First of all, the practice part. I'm like, yes, like that is
0: where everything came to life for me, which is why I could go play and play freely because I felt so confident, so consistent, so ready. um, And just so prepared for that. Um,
1: But okay. You have to just, just share like what I really think I tell people we've never talked about this, (laughs) but I tell people. I think I surprised coach because first of all, coach did not recruit me. It was his, our assistant coach, Larry Ray, who saw me. Yeah. And second of all, I'm hearing about how coach went and recruited everybody at their houses. I think I came on a recruiting trip and you were like, had to go out of town for a speaking engagement.
2: Oh, <laughs> so Lord. tell me,
1: like, be honest. Did I surprise oh. you? <laughs>
2: um, you surprised me with your um, consistency to play this game at a high level. I think there's one thing that I I admired was your ability to handle pressure. Um, And that's a really tough thing for a lot of kids. You know, I mean, batting practice is one thing, but to be able to do it um, in the arena when the game's on the line, you were so good at that. And I I always go back to, I think sometimes you were um, um, oblivious of everything going on. And I I always go back to when, you were pitching and, and and I went out to the mound and I, I wanted the ball and you gave me a high five I'm going really, God uh, you know but that's Leah I'm, um, but no I, I knew that you were a good player. Um, did, did I know that you were going to be a great player? Um, no and I don't think I, I, when it comes to recruiting it's not an exact science and we never know
1: yeah
2: you know a lot of it is what you do with it and and you had you 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 embraced every moment of every day to get better. And, and your hard work paid off, you know, you're one of those kids where you were putting money in the bank all year. And then we got to the college world series and you were ready to draw from it, you know, draw from that account, but you had put the money in some people, they want to practice at this level and play at this level. And that's the one thing I didn't see. Uh, when I, when I work with elite athletes, you don't have to remind them of the level that they're trying to achieve. And um that's a pretty unique thing. But yeah, I knew you were a good player. I mean, my God, <laughs> did I know you were prepared as well as you were prepared? Well, I I thank Larry Mays for that, you know? And
0: yeah, definitely. Bobby. I yeah. had great coaches. Yeah, great and great coaches. And then great. and then again, the athletes I was around, and then obviously our coaching staff. And I I just wanted more. Yeah, whatever I could have. So it definitely came top down and you guys allowed me to rise up
2: where were you? Um, Yeah. And you weren't one of those flashy players that, you know, all of Mm-mm. a sudden you can watch a game and that, that they're popping. No,
0: I tell people, yeah. I tell people all the time. I said, I played with people who are faster, stronger, all these different things that I didn't have, but I think I could outwork any of them you know, and I think, you know, again, when it counts, like I wanted to be in those moments, but because of the preparation, I, you know, I was willing to. So, um, thank you so much for taking the time to share. Um, you, you know, I, I, this, everything you've said today, um, for those that are listening, is why he was able to take that Olympic team. And when we went in the 2004 Olympics after the prior Olympics of dropping three games and then fighting our way back to win, he told us our motto that year was not just to go in and win, we wanted to dominate. And we were able to do just that because of his leadership, the athletes he brought in um, and just that amazing group of women. And so coach, I'm just going to finish. And as I thank you and just say that I can remember my senior year, I'd come back from having a gold medal and I'd kind of picked up some bad habits and worked my way back. I remember you staying after practice with me one day until we just figured it out and then I remember us winning the national championship and us sitting on the back of a golf cart you probably don't remember this but I'll never forget it because I just I just had told you thank you for letting me love the game again and so um I thank you just for letting me love life for giving me the best experience of my life when I played for you so I just love you and I thanks for thank you for coming on today
2: well I love you too and, and, and <laughs> I, I can sit here and, and and thank you all day but it wouldn't be enough for what you've done and, and i'm most proud of who you are and what you represent and i think that's that's one of the gifts of coaching is you 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 get a chance to be around people like yourself and and i've been around a lot of them that just they're not just great athletes but they're great people and yeah. and you guys are giving back to the game now which is just phenomenal and i just want to thank you for for being my safety net because you were and you know that you were my spiritual leader and kind of kept me um where I needed to be and, and, um, I can't thank you enough, but I've been blessed to do something I love to do and be around people that I truly love. And, um, I want to just thank you for having me on. It's been fun.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much. So everybody that's tuned in today, thank you so much for listening to the gold center podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag Gold Standard Podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.